Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are in Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. There are six uh, disputations going on here, or disputes that Malachi is bringing forward. Uh, this part tonight is uh, the rest of the second disputation began in chapter 1, verse 6, and will continue until chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, this was the first part, chapter 1, verse 6 through 14. We'll read that here in just a minute. That was the first part of the second disputation. And then tonight, chapter 2, verse 1 through 9 is going to be the second part of the second argument or disputation that God is bringing against the, the people. This is going to be, is focused on the priests. Very interesting. And again, a lot that we can learn from this. When I say priests, I'm referring to the Levitical priesthood. So the whole Levitical priesthood. And so when I say tonight, if I say Levites, we're talking about the Levitical priesthood. They're all together. They're, they're the, there's the high priest, there's the priests that work under him, then there's all their cousins that are all the Levites. It's that whole group that has been separated for this Levitical priesthood that involves organizing the sacrifices, collecting the tithes, working in the temple. The Levites are, guard, are gatekeepers. The priests are doing more of the actual uh, ritual work, uh, but they're all in the same group and they're all being condemned. The Levites, uh, as we're going to see tonight, probably in, in a more dramatic fashion than in other places in the Bible, we just think rituals, uh, we're going to see that the Levites were the teaching tribe. They were supposed to be instructing, using, of course, the law of Moses as the foundation and the rituals as, you know, the hands-on explanation. But they were to be, well, we're going to see, they're supposed to be providing instruction and guidance. They're, in a sense, in, in the, what we'd say in the New Testament, they're the, the pastors and teachers uh, of the people. Uh, and not just collecting offerings. And we're going to see it talk about a covenant. And we'll look at a few of the verses that they have a, a covenant with Yahweh. In the sense that Yahweh has taken the Levitical tribe, the family of Aaron is to be the priest and the tribe of Levi, and has separated them. And the deal, and we'll see it tonight, the deal is, in this covenant, the people will pay you the tithes and offerings. You will, you'll work, God is saying, you'll work for me. You'll work for the people here on the Temple Mount. You'll be the teaching tribe. But you will, I will give you this, and again, not money, but he's going to give them the tithe, their provisions. You know, all the first fruits will come to them. Some of it will be offered to God, but they will make a living on this. But they, in return, are to serve Yahweh. Uh, they are to fear His name. They are to teach His ways. When people go astray, the Le Levitical tribe is to bring them back. And so they are going to be serving Yahweh as priests, not just burning up rituals. As we saw last week, when they say uh, it's burdensome, it's boring, we just sit here and do all these rituals. No, they're supposed to be teaching and instructing. And again, in my mind, and I don't want to become, you know, judgmental in this, but of course this is Malachi writing, and he's being very judgmental. Uh, and we can look back, you know, to 432 B.C. and say, oh, you know, terrible, terrible people, uh, and then we go on our way. But the application would be for us, is, is the church, the church, the body of Christ, and, and those that claim or want to be in leadership positions, if they be pastors, if they be, you know, youth pastors, choir leaders, whatever, you know, conglomerate name you want to come up with, those that are serving in the church, 
uh, there's a burden on them. And when the, the church goes astray, uh, which then will lead the culture astray, the blame is going to go, well, the, the government, the people of the culture, the people of the church that are the light of the world, they're being led by the pastors and the teachers who are coming out of the seminaries and all the bishops and all the doctors and all the degrees. And it's like, you're letting this culture just, this is where they're at. They're all drifting. God doesn't, you know, blame the government. He doesn't blame the, the people. He, he doesn't blame, you know, the lost believers. He'll take care of them in time. But it comes all the way up to, what, what, why'd you let this happen? Why'd you let this drift off course? And, of course, that is possibly, uh, you know, I've got to be careful because that's my big beef. That's my big uh, accusation. That's my big, you know, pulpit bully position is the church has failed our culture. Uh, and the leadership of the church has failed our culture because, well, you know, they're, they're fine. They're fine getting this, but are you drilling the Word of God? Are you teaching the people? Well, if, if, we, if they'll, they'll leave, it's like, and then we won't get this. And, well, that's, that's a risk you're going to have to take. So without becoming too judgmental, I'm going to try not to go at that direction every time, but I, I hear that all the way through this. So, um... Again, we're looking at today, again, the, the whole section begins in chapter 1, verse 6, the second disputation, goes all the way up to verse, chapter 2, verse 9. The first part, chapter 1, verse 6 through 14, was what we looked at yesterday. Again, this is the second disputation, there's two parts. We looked at the first part last week, I'll read that here in the NIV uh, right now. Uh, and this was God addressing them, and you can see the, the problem is going to be uh, they're, the, they're, they're not bringing the right sacrifice, they're not taking it serious, and the priests are not calling them to account. They're accepting the lame offerings, and they're going through the, the empty motions. In fact, the priests are just like, oh, what a, you know, well, well let's read it. Here it is. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it begins, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, which God is, he's the creator and the father of the nation, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, and he is the master, they, the, he is their Lord, uh, where is the respect due me? Meaning you have this in the natural world, why am I not getting it here? Uh, all, says the Lord Almighty. And then he says right here, very beginning of this second dispute that God has with Israel, it is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. It all begins with you. You're showing contempt for my name, and of course, throughout this, there's going to be uh, a statement, an accusation, and then there's going to be a, a rhetorical response uh, that M Malachi is going to put in, and putting in the mouth of the, the accused. But you, you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Well, we show contempt for you. How's that been done? Well, then now God's going to unload the evidence. Well, you place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? How have we placed defiled food? By saying that, the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals and sacrifice what is not, uh, as for sacrifice, is that not wrong? In other words, you're saying my table's contemptible. It's not deserving. How, how do we say that? Well, you're bringing unworthy animals. You're bringing low-quality sacrifice, which means you think my table's a low-quality table. Uh, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor, like for taxation purposes or something. Would he be pleased with you? Would, your, would, your, would, your, would the IRS accept that kind of 
tax payment. Here's the tithe. Here's what you should be paying. And you just bring in some change. What would the IRS say? That's close enough. The IRS takes their job more serious than the pastors take their job. Or the governor there would say, this is not worthy. But the priests say, oh, it's blind, it's lame, it's diseased. We'll take that and offer it as a sacrifice. It's like you're, they're not doing, the priests are not doing their job. The person, listen, we're got ready to pay our taxes and that's the tax season. All of us, if there's some way to avoid paying some taxes, and don't talk to Tony about the video she's passing around. <laughs> Have you seen the revolt that's coming around? Okay, talk to Tony. Don't talk to me. I don't want to put this on video. But nonetheless, <laughs> I am not part of that movement. Uh, but anyway, uh, if there's a way that you could reduce your taxes, you, you'd go for it. But the IRS is watching you, and you've got to be careful. Well, the priest should be doing the same thing. There, people start bringing in some, get, trying to slip through some kind of a easy way of making a sacrifice or save a little more for themselves. The priest should be, ah, ah, ah. They're, it's not for them. They're serving the Lord. But the priests are accepting minimal payments or no payments at all if you compare it to taxes. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept says you says the lord now verse 9 now implore god to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands will he accept you says the lord almighty and that is probably sarcastic you bring in a lame offering and then you have a prayer oh lord be gracious to us we brought the offering it's like oh give me a break you bring this lame animal and then you pray oh show us favor it's like it doesn't even match Oh, that, then here's God's response to their lame, you know, prayer that's brought along with a lame offering. Oh, that you would, oh, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. And then he, this is a theme throughout the book. My name will be great among the nations. This is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal of Israel being chosen is that they will make God's name great throughout the nations. He will be their God. He will be their people. And through them, all nations will be blessed. But God's got to get Israel representing him and proclaiming his name. And eventually, all nations are going to come because of Israel and their work. So he says, the end is my name will be great among the nations. Even if I have to bypass Israel, I am going to reach all nations and all nations will bring me incense. They'll bring me offerings. My name will be great. Now, now uh, you, you should be doing your part. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. To every, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. He's not saying, of course, he's the great king today. He's the great God today. He's feared all around the universe, spiritual and, and physical worlds. Uh, but this is talking about a day when it is manifest in the earth. And so this is prophetic that this is his goal where this is going to go. And Israel's supposed to be leading the charge as the priests lead Israel in the charge. And Israel's failing because the priests are failing, but God's saying, my plan is going to succeed. But you profane it, my temple, my name, you profane my name, by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled. And oh, it's... It is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. This is the priest talking. What a burden. Day after day, sacrifice after sacrifice. Does this get kind of mundane? It's like, I mean, you can hear people talking about Bible teaching. It's like, oh, we're going to more Bible to verse after verse, letter after letter. We keep talking about, can't we do something fun? Can't we have like a children's program or something? 
And it's like, they're saying the same thing. Can we do, and, and you say, uh, what a burden, and you sniff at it contempt, contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty, when you bring injured or crippled or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Then here it is, verse 14, it's going to be building now on the second. We're reading this first part. The second part is going to be chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, the second part of the second disputation, and it's built on this right here. God's declaration after reading this first part, cursed is the cheat who has, not, who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Then he says this again, For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. I am a great king today, and I'm going to be reaching all the nations. You can't be treating this, me this way. Eventually the whole world will be treating me better than the Jews are treating him in, in uh, Malachi's day. Okay, so on page one, the notes, uh, you can understand this, as I'm sure you could have already, but chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 that we're reading tonight is the second part of the second disputation, and it's directed directly to the Levitical priesthood. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, this part. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, well, I've got that written there at the top of the page. It's going to be broken into two parts here, and we'll see it, verses 1 through 3, and then the second part, verses 4 through 9. Uh, it ends with this statement about the curse and chapter 2 verse 1 through 9 can be divided into two halves uh, the focus on the theme of the Levitical priesthood's failure to show Yahweh the respect the great king uh, deserves uh, the, whose name will be feared among the nations and in chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 he says if you will not take it to heart to honor my name so chapter this right here talking about you need to take it to heart to honor his name the second part uh, chapter 2 verses 4 through 9 it was a covenant of fear and he feared me he stood in awe of my name they the levitical tribe is in a covenant of fear and again not not oh i'm afraid you know the meaning that they are to show great respect <coughs> similar to what you would show I, I mean i don't need to explain this to you it's not that they're afraid of him but it's like oh here he is we've got to make sure everything is perfect it's like you're having an honored guest to your house uh, you're, you're meeting someone for lunch or whatever it is. It's like, oh, I want to leave a good impression. They have a covenant of fear that they're to fear God and teach others to fear God. And they're failing. And they, notice it's called there, we'll see it again, a covenant of fear. And he, he's talking here about Aaron and Levi's because there's gonna, God, God is going to go back and do a little bit of history reviewing what they, how they came about, what they came into his plan for and how great they were succeeding it's an ideal it's going to become a an ideal picture of the levitical tribe because we can go through the all the days of the priests starting with aaron's sons where they bring the wrong wrong incense in and they they drop dead we can go through the period of the judges where the levites are moving around and they have no place to minister and they're actually selling their services to different people you know serving idols we read that in the book of judges the, the whole culture's lost you can go through the time of of some of the the priests that betrayed the kings or betrayed god uh they end up putting Jeremiah, kicking Jeremiah off the Temple Mount. Wouldn't let Jeremiah come on the Temple Mount. And they even end up being prophesied against by Jeremiah and Isaiah, you know, telling them, you're in trouble. 
And so there hasn't been a great history because it's the history of humankind and mankind. And so there's going to be mistakes. But Malachi, God is going to speak through Malachi in these verses what the ideal perfect priesthood was like. And there were some very successful priests uh, throughout that time period too. But they were to fear him and they have a covenant with fear and they were to teach others that. The next bullet point, chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, develops the curse promise I showed you at the end of chapter 1, verse 14. Cursed is the cheat. Well, these two sections are both going to develop that curse part. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, God says, I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. So he says, I'm going to curse, and we'll talk about the blessing. Again, the blessing, we, we mentioned it already. They came in in this covenant. It's not the Mosaic covenant. It's not the Abrahamic covenant. It's, and it's not even necessarily clearly detailed uh, in the law of Moses. I have a covenant with Aaron. But you can see it, and we'll look at some of the verses, where he's going to be buying or trading out instead of taking the firstborn uh, from all the tribes and having them serve him. He'll, he'll say, I'll just take the tribe of Levi. You can keep your firstborn. I'll just take the firstborn of them and they'll be mine, making, in a sense, a covenant, giving them instructions and saying, I'll provide for you for this. You'll do this. So there's the discussion of a covenant, and that's what they're referring to here, that Levi has this covenant. Um, but he says, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, that where the curse is mentioned, he says, I will curse your blessing. In other words, because it's a covenant. It's, it's a contract. He plans on it being continuous but because they have failed to do their part and they're continuing to fail to teach the people the fear of god to correct the people when they go astray to make them bring the right set you you failed your job then watch this all that stuff that's guaranteed because you're in the priesthood all the ties the first fruits all the wine all the crops that are supposed to be brought in there in your abundance i'm cursing it in other words I'm not writing you. I'm not cutting you any more checks. You're, you're going to be just living unemployed because you're not working for me. Try being unemployed in Israel. And that's what, he, that's what he's saying. When he says, I curse your blessing, the blessing was the tithe. And now it's like, you're not going to get it. And so the second part, chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, he says, I make you despised and abased, he declares in chapter 2. So you will be despised. Now, one of the things I... You know, I, I don't know. This ends up t talking about them being cursed, despised, rejected. It gets a little more graphic than that when we get into the verses. Uh, the first thing is very, very colorful, uh, disgusting. Uh, it's like, when did this take place? Because this is like 432 B.C. When? Because you, you have the Levites and the priesthood is still there in Jesus' day. You know, they caused Jesus trouble. Uh, ultimately, they're displaced in 70 A.D. at the fall of the temple. But now we're talking a prophecy from 432, and he's talking to that generation, how corrupt they are, and now it's going to ultimately take place when the temple burns in, in 70 A.D. I mean, that, that could work. But you, as you move up, try and figure out when does this... The, it's not real specific historically when all these curses came. It could have been a, a few seasons of, of, of harvest until things got back on track. We do know some great priests are going to arise around the time of Alexander. When Alexander comes, he's going to meet one of the priests who brings him out, the scroll of the book of Daniel. We, we've talked about that. Uh, so there will, and there will be some other great priests coming. Uh, it will eventually collapse into the Hasmonean or the Maccabees who were priests. And uh, uh, Mattathias and his five sons stood up against the, the Seleucids, the Greeks, 
and wouldn't offer, they wouldn't, wouldn't take the vaccination. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't make the sacrifice to the, the swine on the, on the Greek altar. And, uh, and they, they drew their swords and, and slew the solution detachment of soldiers, which then they sent another detachment, and it is now we're into the Maccabean Revolt, to find them, a large number. They strategized and overthrew them and killed them. They sent like, they each kept sending larger amounts. Eventually they're sending generals that have had world experience in battles against the Maccabees who just keep growing and growing in number. And Judas Maccabeus becomes the, the oldest son or one of the sons of Mattathias, becomes the leader. Uh, Maccabees means the hammer because Judas the hammer. Uh, and ends up driving him. And they end up having, making a peace treaty with Rome. And this Maccabean family becomes known as the Hasmoneans. They become the, the ruling tribe of priests who take on the kingship. And so then that becomes corrupt. And that leads into then Herod marries into the family. And, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. So I, I can go through some history, but I do not know exactly when this curse that he's speaking of is going to take place. Uh, especially then you read eventually if you understand the millennium and put that into an actual physical kingdom the the priests are given land and it's all restored in the millennial kingdom so it's not a total breakdown and it may be a curse that took place you know in a, a few seasons a few years uh it may have manifested somewhere in history so i i can't i i really as a bible teacher want to say and this took place here's the promise and here's the fulfillment i can't make that connection uh but anyway chapter 2 verse 1 through 3 says you're not honoring me mentions the curse same thing here you're not fearing me mentions them being despised and the last thing chapter 2 verse 1 through 9 addresses two issues presented in the opening part of the dispute um yahweh's response to the question presented to the priesthood in chapter 1 verse 6 which was where is my honor where is my fear he's saying where is it right here and he's going to be asking that and and that is going to be addressed in those uh, those verses and then chapter 4, verse 9, Yahweh condemns the priesthood for allowing the people to despise the rituals. Uh, he's going to rip them. This is going to be a serious uh, speaking against the priest. Because earlier in chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he says, you know, we read it, they're offering polluted food on my altar. The Lord's table may be despised. They say, you offer blind animals and you offer those that are lame or sick. And then he's going to come against them right there. So that's, again, the two sections. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 first and see those things take place. There's going to be a curse. He's demanding honor, and they've failed to do some things. And then we'll move to chapter 1, verse 4 through 9. So here we go. Uh, I've read the NIV in my Bible. I've got the English Standard verses on the notes here. Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. You've also got the Hebrew, and we'll refer to that a couple of times. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now... O priest. Now, this is a continuation of he's already addressed the priest. So right here, there's no doubt. Uh, o priest, this command or this word, this prophecy, this declaration is against you. This is for you. So he's, again, he's not saying, ah, oh, the people are great. It's just those priests. The people are another issue. But before we get to the people, say, ah, oh, the people are not obeying the word of God. We got to start with well, it'd be like saying, you know, these first graders sure don't know their whatever the material is. Well, we got to fire the first graders. It's like, well, no, if the first graders are not learning the material, who do you get rid of? Or well, back in the day when we had education, you would get rid of the teacher. Or 
a, a, a football team, a college football team, has a losing record. You, you fire the team. Well, sometimes you rebuild, but you're going to get rid of the, the staff, the coaches that are responsible for this. In this case right here, oh, priests. It's the priest. Our nation is failing. It's the priest's fault. This is not me saying this. This is not my bad attitude. This is God saying we have a problem, and it's because of the priest. Chapter 2, verse 2. He says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give me honor, there's the word honor, and he's going to say take it to heart twice in here, to, honor my, to, get, to, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Twice he says, mentions it, lay it to your heart, take heart, make this serious and then three times he mentions curse and if you turn the page to page two you can see the hebrew and i've got in a, the squares the word curse mentioned three times uh if not you will hear and if not you will take to heart to give glory to my name says yahweh of hosts i will send upon you a curse and i will curse your blessing i'm going to send the curse the curse is going to destroy all your blessings. What are the blessings? You know, it just says blessings. And so, like I said before, I'm assuming that's all the offerings the people are bringing in that are owed the priest for serving as the custodians of God's household. They're failing to take care of God's household, so I'm sending a curse, and all the blessings that you're receiving will be cursed. And then, and yes, he says already, I have cursed them. So when they say, well, we're having trouble already, that's because I've all, I'm just telling you what I've already done and I'm going to continue to do. So the curse is already in place. And right here, because you have not taken to heart. So twice it says, take it to heart. And what does he want them to take to heart? The name of God or Yahweh to honor, to fear that name. And again, how, again, again, we can make application from this. How are they not showing honor to Yahweh's name? They're not taking the sacrificial system serious. They're not instructing people. And it's not just the rituals, and it's not just the sacrifices. It's what the sacrifices represent. You've got to imagine, uh, when they were bringing an offering, say it's a, a sacrifice or sin, and they'd lay their hands on and they'd confess their sin, there had to be teaching going on about how man... It's not like it wasn't until Paul, no one knew mankind was sinful... And then Paul came and started talking about, you know, the sin nature of man. It's like, oh my gosh, sure, we've all fallen. Oh, I'm so glad Paul finally wrote this in Romans or something. It's like, this is the story from the beginning. We're, we're on this cycle of destruction. We have fallen. Adam fell in the garden, and the priests are fallen. The people are fallen. Everyone has fallen. And all this is a system to get you back to God, to re understand your position, and the sacrifices and atonement and stay right with God. All this is, I mean, you can imagine how much, how, how much time I've spent talking about Old Testament, and I, I, I don't even live in the Old Testament. Imagine a priest who was schooled in this, how much instruction and insight they would have of all the movie components of the law and the grain offerings and the drink offerings and the poured out offerings and this altar, and, and it's like all the festivals. It'd be like, oh my gosh, there's so much to learn, and yet they're not, they're not doing it. They're not, they're not fearing god they're not teaching it they're bringing no honor to his name and how they would bring honor is by doing these sacrifices and understanding them and then you ask how do we honor god how do we honor god well i i, th I think it's real simple 
One is know his word. I mean, it, I mean, really hard for me to say, well, we, we're a follower of Christ. We, we love the Lord. It's like, do you know his word? Well, no, no. It's like, that's so long. It's so boring. You, you need to know, okay, here, let's cross off word and write truth. Truth, which again, not, not, I mean, look at our culture. Truth, I, I, I feel like this is, I, I, what I understand, what I've always been told, that, well, okay, right, you don't know the truth. The truth has been given to you in the scriptures. You need to know, learn the truth. Okay, now you've come to Generation Word Bible study. Now you know the truth. Okay, I'm there. No, no, no. Now you have to do. You have to be. You have to produce the fruit of the Spirit. You have to, you, this is, you're, you're transforming your mind into the image of Christ so that you can do the work of Christ. And so how do we know if we honor God's name? I would say two things. Do you know his word? And are you doing the word? Are you doing what that word has explained? It's not to say, well, you're just a Gnostic. You're just teaching knowledge. Right, because that knowledge is the transforming power that will renew your mind. That's all it's about? Well, no, because once you have a renewed mind, you've got a born-again spirit with a renewed mind, those two parts of the human can dominate the body and drag it along in the will of God. You know the Spirit of God wants to do what's right. Your renewed mind wants to do it right. And you get those two components on the same page, you're going to start executing, and it's like, well, you're sounding legalistic now. No, it's like I said before, it's not legalism. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So you learn the word, the water of the word, which causes growth, and you produce fruit. You can call knowing the word of God, oh, some kind of Gnosticism. Okay, that's because you're stupid. It's the word of God. It's the living word of God that transforms your soul. It's a seed, and now you're going to start producing, oh, now you're getting legalistic on us. No, it's the fruit of the spirit of God that's growing because of the word of God. And so I would say, how do we honor God's name today? Know the truth, understand the word, and start letting it produce fruit in your life. Again, it's going to take some, both of those are going to take some discipline. And it's going to be very easy to say, oh, this is wearisome. This is boring. Who needs this? Especially if you get yourself into a climate that has a light show with a big pump and bass sound for praise and worship and people swaying back and forth with their eyes closed in a smoke machine and you feel like you're at some kind of Led Zeppelin concert or something or Pink Floyd concert, but it's really a church service, probably playing the same song. And it's like, I really feel close to God. And it's like, okay, this letter's for those people. This letter is for those people. You're not showing honor to my name. Well, look, we got a great light show. We've got praise and worship. Look how loud our band is. It's like, do you know the word and are you doing the word? Oh, it's contemptible. Who's got time for that? Look at our singers. Okay, here we go. Okay, page two, uh, the notes right there, take to hearts mentioned two times, meaning they've got to get involved in it. Curse mentioned three times, you said that. And I, point three, just the blessings refer to the special favor that the Levites, the uh, Levitical priesthood had. And point three A, if the land did not produce, if the land is cursed, it's not going to produce the fruit of the land. And so the people can't bring the fruit in for the tithe because no one's got any production. And so the chain reaction is the priests are like, they don't have their own businesses. They're, they're now destitute. Uh, chapter three, verse 11 coming up, mentions two of the blessings that would be removed, causing devastation to the Levitical priesthood. And that is one, concerning the crops. He says in chapter 3, verse 11, it's coming up, telling the people, 
I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of, the, of your soil. And so the devourer would be, you know, if you get in the charismatic movement, the devourer is Satan or something. Uh, but in this real world right here, the devourer would be a worm or some kind of pestilence that was a pest that was eating the, the crop. And so there's, there's no crop. And God is saying, I will bless you. I will oversee and I will make sure that that worm or that pest doesn't get in and destroy your crop. Now you can say that's Satan if you want to. That's, you know, preach that away if you won't need that. Uh, and then concerning the wine in the same verse, chapter 3, verse 11, uh, your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And both of those, the crop and the vine producing the wine, were things that were brought into the priest and God is saying, I will curse your blessing. So what I said, I won't let the pest bother your crops. In this case, I will send the worm to destroy your crop. And your vines for your vineyards, oh, they're going to dry up. And so with the priest like, where's our food? Where's our wine? We didn't get any this year. And so maybe it's time for them to start doing their job. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. And I hear you. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry for those, but this is... Again, it's kind of fun. This would be a fun to have a youth group for this kind of thing. They love this part. Behold, I'll rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Now, without getting too graphic, you have what is, you know, the tabernacle here, and you have the, you have the altar burnt offering out there, the Ark of the Covenant will be in here, the, the incense altars here. So, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. That's, this is the tent. Here's the tabernacle. Here's your altar. Here's your bronze basin. Here's the holy place with the Ark of the Covenant, light stand, uh, table showbread. They would bring their offerings in here, and they, uh, they'd be prepared and brought in. But all of the, and you can read about it. I could probably take you to a verse and read it to you. But not everything, they didn't bring the whole animal and lay it on the altar, just flame it up they would cut it. They had knives. I mean, the Levites were skilled with knives and swords. They cut sacrifices, which is flesh, all day long. And now you've got a Levite who's a gatekeeper at the, at the, the temple courts. Uh, you don't mess with them. I mean, they, they slice up animals all day, and you're going to try to make a run for the gate or something. It's like there's no contest. So these guys were the swordsmen. I mean, they were skilled. Uh, but they would cut up the portions, and it gives you all the instructions on how to, the portions that would be burnt, the waste, including the, the, the skin, the hoofs, the intestines, the waste inside the intestines, all that stuff was taken, cut up and taken out, and taken out and put into a, a dump, a camp outside. This is where the, the carcasses of the animals were taken. And then they'd have the, the meat offering would be brought in here. It, I mean, it's just like going to... You know, you go to the meat counter at, at Hy-Vee or a grocery store, you see the meat, you don't see, oh, there's, there's all the blood piled up there, and there's all the intestines, and all the, oh, it stinks over here. That's, that's, all, that's somewhere else, the packing plant. Anyway, that waste right here, what he's saying is, and you can see the, the notes right there, I got the Hebrew box right there. I've got it in a square box. It's the word refused. It's pronounced Paris. Uh, in the Hebrew, it can be translated refuge or offal. It's the fecal matter, the internal waste of a sacrificial animal. It's all the stuff inside the stomach and the, and the waste that's coming out that didn't get out. It's in the intestine, all that. This is what God, this is God. He says, 
Behold, I'll rebuke the offering. I'm not accepting this offering. It's lame. And I will spread the dung, although you've already cut it open. I will take the dung out of the offering and smear it on the priest's face. So he's, he's wiping waste of an animal. You, 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 I, mean, I got to stop with the example. I just, my mind is just coming up with all these inappropriate descriptions. And I'm just going to shut it down right there. Uh, I'm maturing. I'm, I, you know, 63, I'm showing signs of maturity. Don't just say everything that comes to my mind. And I have to go home and cut it out of the videotape. And, and spread dung on your face. Now watch, that's what's happening here. The offering's been cut, he's spearing the dung in the face. And usually they take that waste and take it out of the camp along with the skin and the hooves and different things. But most of what he takes out of the camp. Before he takes that out of the camp, I'm going to, he says, I'll smear it on the priest's face the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So before he allows the waste to be taken out of the camp to the dump, he's going to smear it on the priest of the face, and then when he takes the waste out, guess who goes with it? The priest, because you're as filthy as the waste. That is what he's saying to the priest right here. Behold, I will rebuke your offering, not offerings unacceptable. In other words, he's going to have to come down and do the priestly job himself. The Lord is coming down. The priest is supposed to investigate and uh, approve the sacrifice. The Lord will come down after it's cut home and say, not good enough. And you approve this? Smear it on his face. Now take them all out to the waste camp. And it's like, that sounds harsh. Well, that's exactly what he did with Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's two sons, when they went in here to the incense altar with the wrong incense and burnt it, it somehow exploded and killed them. And God says, take them out here. And Aaron, don't mourn. His oldest two sons just dropped dead in the tabernacle. And God says, Aaron, I told him, I told him to do it the right way. Don't mourn. Don't tear your clothes. Take them out. Get back to work and do a better job next time. That, that's, that's the first generation of the priesthood. That's where the first generation of the priesthood ended up in the garbage dump. And the high priest was Aaron, who had to watch his sons be taken out, what was left of them. Okay, uh, that's page two. Page three, all the details there on the top of page two about the Hebrew word, peresh. Chapter two, verse four, the last part of this first section of the second part of the second rebuke. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. This is going to happen, and that way you'll know that this command to you, that this is a command, that I am, I am giving you this word. This word that's coming from Malachi is going to be authenticated when you see this happen. You'll know this, is, and I, because I want my covenant with Levi, I want it to stand. Uh, and again, it mentions a covenant with Levi. Under, underneath here on page 3, when it mentions covenant with Levi, Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, point 1, the word covenant is mentioned six times in the book of Malachi. Six times, three times it's in these verses, and it's talking about the covenant with Levi. And again, I think that has to be the covenant of where he separated Levi from the other tribes and brought him into this special place where he's going to oversee the offerings and be the teaching tribe of Israel. Uh, yeah, that's chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 8. They're all going to be tonight. Coming up uh, in chapter 2, verse 10, uh, talks about the covenant of the fathers. Uh, there's a covenant of marriage being mentioned in chapter 2, verse 14. And then at the very end of the book, chapter 3, verse 1, 
it appears to be mentioning the new covenant. So this is the, the, the sixth of the six mentions of a covenant. The first three are the tribe of Levi, we'll see tonight. But that next one, and we'll talk about it eventually, chapter 3, verse 1. The verse says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's interesting. The Lord Yahweh that you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Now remember, we just, just again, I don't want to get chapter 3 tonight. But remember, they built the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord came into the tabernacle. Solomon built the temple. The glory of the Lord entered the temple. In Ezekiel, we see the glory of the Lord leaving the temple in a vision. At the end of the book of Ezekiel, we see a vision of the glory returning to the temple in a distant day. Uh, appears to be the millennium or the kingdom age. What we never see is the glory coming back into the temple in in Zerubbabel's day, Joshua's day, Nehemiah's day, it, it, there's no glory in this temple. It, it, it left in 586. They've rebuilt the temple, but there's not even a, a, an Ark of the Covenant there. It's just the temple. They're supposed to be doing these rituals. But this verse at the end of chapter 3, the, the, one of the last verses in the Old Testament, it says, the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Now the Lord would be Yahweh, and the Lord is Jesus the man, which is indisputable, um, will suddenly come to his temple. That could be Jesus walking into the temple in his ministry, or that could be Ezekiel's vision of the glory coming down on the Mount of Olives and entering his temple for the kingdom age. But nonetheless, it's interesting that there it mentions, uh, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant. And the messenger of the covenant would probably be the messenger of the new covenant, which is Jeremiah 31, 31. The messenger of the new covenant will come with the new covenant, which could refer to Jesus coming in his ministry or ultimately coming in the end. Nonetheless, it's talking somewhere, chapter 3, verse 1, is talking somewhere about Jesus and about the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke about. But we're going back to this right here. Um, so shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. And that covenant with Levi, point two, uh, is probably Numbers chapter 3, verses 45 through 48. That's where God says the firstborn of everything is mine. The firstborn of all your children are mine. You can redeem them by paying this certain amount of money and then you can have them back, but you got their, their mine. The firstborn of all the animals is mine you can be redeemed or it can be sacrificed but he says i'll make a deal with you what we'll do is instead of taking the firstborn of all your sons from all the tribes i'll just let you keep them pay a pay a price for them and i'll just take the whole tribe of levi so the levi's he's making a deal i will take the tribe of levi's mine now all god rules all the nations but i'll take abram and i'll make him into a great nation i will this will be my nation and you can have all the other nations. I'll take Abram. Now, he goes to the, the 12 tribes of Israel. I'll take, you can have the 11, I'll take this tribe for my own. And then out of those, he says, I'll take this line of Aaron, the Levites, but I'll take this, and he keeps narrowing it down until he gets to a high priest. But nonetheless, that's what's being said. Chapter Numbers, chapter 18, verse 21 through 24. Uh, here again, point 2b on page 3. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in israel for an inheritance this i think is that blessing that he's going to curse that this is the blessing again he, he's making a covenant 
He's not just take your mind. I'm going to use you for this. You'll do this, but I will do this for you. We have a new covenant with Jesus Christ. We'll do this. We'll have faith in Christ, and I'll give you the resurrection life. And now in my covenant here, you'll start producing. In the Levites' covenant, they have a covenant with God. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. Now watch this in bold. In return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. They're going to serve in the tent of meeting. I'll pay them the tithe and they'll serve me and be teaching all the tribes. And it goes on through there. You can see that's Numbers 18. Interesting just right here, this Phineas in Numbers chapter 25, remember when Phineas went and ran a spear in the, in the Moabite revolt, he, he pinned the guy to the ground and uh, everyone else was just like letting it slide. Phineas stepped up and God also gave him a covenant with, his, with him and with all of the generations coming. So this tribe with Levi is with all of the generations or all the seed that is coming. That ends that first part of chapter 2 verse 1 through 9. Uh, talking about, uh, I'm going to keep this covenant going, but I've got to make some corrections. So it's chapter 2, verse 5, page 4. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me and stood in awe of my name. So he makes this covenant, and the covenant that he made with Levi was life and peace. I mean, how great is it? I mean, it's like, this is not a bad thing. You're going to work in the presence of the Lord in the temple mount, and it's going to be uh, 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 full of life. We're going to be we're going to teaching, spreading the word of God, and it's going to be in peace. Everything's going to be working fine. Harm, shalom. It, it, well, you can see the word. I think I've got it written down there somewhere. Uh, yeah, down there in the bottom of page four. Peace, shalom, completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. It, you're, you'll be complete. You, you, you'll love it here. This is everything. Everything you need is going to be taken care of. You'll you'll have a full life. Uh, when people say, well, I, I just want to find myself. Well, you will have found yourself. This is where I belong. It's going to be shalom. It's life and shalom. I found myself. This is where I belong. Okay, so that's my covenant with him. I gave it to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. This is what I'll do for you. What do you do for me? You're going to have to fear me. Again, not the abusive father. I'm afraid of him, but fear in the sense that I respect him. He controls the universe. He is the creator. He chose Israel. This is the greatest celebrity in the universe. And I fear him. I stand in, he says, in awe of me. When people come into the house of God, it's like, welcome to the house of Yahweh. And it's like, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I know exactly what I'm supposed to say. And I am sorry, but that animal is not standing up to the requirements. You're going to have to go get another animal. Why? Because we have the greatest, it's like having a great celebrity over for lunch and, and you bring out some, you know, leftovers. It's like, listen, do you know who's coming for lunch today? We need the best. We can't be, and, and especially since God's already given a list. This is what I want when I come to your house. And then it gets over, he's like, well, we just got frozen pizza and some pop or something. It's like, well, that's not what I wanted. And so God's not saying, just give me something really good. He's saying, this is what I want for lunch. I'll be there at noon. And if you fear and stand in awe, we're gonna, whatever it takes, we're going to get that there, especially when he's equipping you to get it there. I mean, it's like he's giving you the animals. He's giving you the produce. It's like, 
I'll give it to you, and then you bring it to me. In fact, God's saying, I'm going to come for lunch. I'm going to pay for all of this. All you got to do is have it picked up and brought over and put on the table for me. It's like, uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't pick it up. We got some frozen pizza. It's like, oh, uh, that doesn't sound like you were in awe of me or fear me. And so there was a, this is what he's talking. Now he's reviewing historically where they came from, what they were for. And he says, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. Gave him life, I gave him peace. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. The ideal priest, I mean, ideally, it's the, all the ancient days, but again, we can go back to the ancient days before, you know, the days of Malachi, and there's a whole line of disaster. That's why we end up in captivity. We end up all these, that's why Malachi's here. So it's, it's been a train wreck all along. But, so this is not necessarily talking about a specific time period, it could be some individuals, but most likely it's the ideal of what the priesthood was supposed to be like. Chapter 2, verse 6. Watch this. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. So the, it was instruction. He, he could teach. When, again, not, again, don't just think, you know, how to cut the animal right and do this. He was, instru- he was the, the oracles of the Word of God. He was the teaching tribe. That's why they had levitical cities throughout the land of israel so that there was teachers in every you know within every 15 20 miles you know i don't know the exact details but there was a levitical city where levites lived and they were responsible for this territory it's like a postal system you know you'll deliver to this system he's like we got fedex or ups they had a levitical distribution center you're responsible for this you'll live here but you're responsible for teaching these people you didn't have a temple in fact you couldn't have a temple you didn't offer sacrifice you can't offer sacrifice they can only be offered in jerusalem so what are you doing up here you're instructing them teaching the people the word of god so true instruction was in his mouth the ideal priest and no wrong was found on his lips and again the word wrong i've got it down there It, it means injustice or unrighteousness in other words there was no bad advice there was no corrupt consul, meaning they could give you, you have a question. They, they would have the information for you. Uh, then that's how he treated, that was before Israel. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. Now before God, he walked in that shalom. He walked in that completeness that I gave him, the completeness. He stayed there. You think about Adam staying where he should have in the Garden of Eden. Or Levi staying where he should have in that covenant. He had shalom. He had fullness. He knew the answers because he was walking before me and he had peace. And what was the result of all this? He had instruction. He was not corrupt. He walked in peace and shalom before God. He had fellowship, we'll just say, with God. The result was combined. Many were led back. I'll say led back or the people of Israel who had questions or who went astray, it says it right here, and he turned many from iniquity. Again, we're talking about the ideal priest. What would the result be? That corrupt nation of Israelites who wanted to cheat the sacrifices, they wanted to live corrupt lives, they wanted to follow the pagans, they were turned back to God or turned many from iniquity. So he was teaching, he had wisdom on his lips, he was walking in peace with God, he was complete, and when his job, when he'd reach out to people in his community, in his territory, wherever they were at, he would prevent them from going astray. And thus, you've got a a pure priesthood, but you've got people that they're in charge of that have a tendency to go astray, but they're correcting them, not dominating them, not being legalistic, but hey, here's the light, here's the truth. And he kept the major flow of the culture going back towards God 
Israel's blessed. Now, what happens when the people go astray? The priest, stop, stop, they fix it. But when the priests are like, this is a lame job. I mean, what, what's this even matter? You can take this serious. Eh, we'll just have frozen pizza tonight. That's eh, close enough. It's like, are they corrupt? They don't even recognize corruption. They're, they're corrupt themselves. Where's the nation going to go? It's going to go into captivity, which they've come back from. Uh, and that's how I got all those details written down there. Page 5, chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, continuing on the perfect priest and the purpose of the priesthood. For the lips of a, chapter 2, verse 7, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Again, the Lord of hosts means the Lord of armies. The Lord who is the, the, the Yahweh, the creator of the universe, who's in charge of the armies of the heavens that we can't even see, the angelic forces. He's chosen the priests to be his messenger. And as a Levite, as a priest, you're supposed to be guarding knowledge. Uh, and the people should know it. They should be coming here. When they get, have a question, they should be seeking this out, knowing if we listen to the priest, we'll solve this problem. And there's the words. The word guard, knowledge, means to keep, to watch, to preserve knowledge. You know, God's gave it to them. You just don't lose it. How about this? Jude. The, the faith, once for all, entrusted to the saints. What, if you're a pastor, what are you to be doing? The faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. You just got to guard it. You just got to, <laughs> you just have to protect it. You don't have to come up with it. You don't have to have a clever sermon. You don't have to come with, here's all my points today. Here's how to have a successful life now. You just got to preserve the knowledge. It was given to the apostles. It was written in the scriptures. And now you want to work in the church. Well, one, preserve the knowledge. Here it is. I'll just teach this. Uh, you think this is boring? I know. It's kind of lame. How about we get some frozen pizza and have a life coach come in and tell us how to live a life successful in a postmodern pagan culture that's what we want it's like that's frozen pizza and you're gonna you're gonna lose your culture okay uh so that's what guard means uh chapter 2 verse 7 for the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and the people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of god and as you know messenger uh, uh me it's the word malachi in fact if you look down there you can find the word see right there if you can find it, that Hebrew, the second line of Hebrew, the second word in from the right side, Melak, that's Malachi, it, it means mes, me, uh, messenger. And so the title of the book, Malachi, is messenger. And several times messenger comes up. Okay. Um, and he is a messenger of, the, the, the priest is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. The one who's ruling the heavens with his military forces, angelic forces, has given you the responsibility to be the source of instruction, of wisdom. It's like, uh, I know it's a great responsibility, but it should be a fairly easy job. Here's the material. Here's the people. Read what the Lord of hosts wants you to teach them. Teach the people. All right. Chapter 2, verse 8. But, here's the, here's the, here's the, but, that was the ideal priesthood. In Malachi's day, but, you have turned aside from the way. You've turned aside from, instead of preserving and guarding the knowledge, or in the church's case, the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, it's like, 
ah, you've turned away from it and have got something else you're teaching. Uh, you have turned aside from the way. You, and what's the result? Instead of turning many back or turning many from iniquity, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. My gosh, that's one, I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine the pressure of being a pastor having to speak once a week, every week for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, maybe 12 minutes, and to come up with something to say. What can I say to inspire these people to live a life in a collapsing culture and find a hope in, and it's like, it's like, what... That's why people say they labor over, they're laboring over their servant. They're laboring. It's like, yeah, because you're making it up. It's like, it's, that's why it's so hard. Just turn the page. Read, oh, now, what? Now? Oh, here's some more. And then you read this and explain it. It's like, how hard is it? Well, turn the page. Look, there's a lot of them. And this guy right here, these priests, have turned aside from the way. They've turned aside from the way. And because of that, they've caused many to stumble with your instruction. You're laboring over a 12-minute sermon or a 30-minute sermon and saying nothingness but postmodern, cultural, relevant worthlessness. It's like you're not correcting anybody. You're, in fact, you're confirming their faulty lifestyle. You're, not turning, you're encouraging them to run further from God. I, I can't give you a book like that in the New Testament. That's not what we're looking at. But I would be terrified uh, if that's what you were doing and you really thought there was a real God, the Lord of hosts, and he gave you these words, and you're not speaking them. You're coming up with your own creative, and people, they love it. They're flocking to hear your 12 minutes of wisdom and comedy and jokes and one-liners. It's like, that was really encouraging. Let's bring out the smoke machine and the band again. Okay. But you have turned aside from the way, and because of that, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And again, if you see, I got three boxes in the Hebrew because uh, you is emphatic. In, in the Hebrew, it says, you departed from the way. You have caused to stumble many at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. You, you, you. It's like he, he starts off saying the priest. And now as we finish this, finish this up, it's, it's like you, you. You. The problem is you. And that, that's emphatic. He, he's been very. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. I was going to give you provisions. That was my part. And you were going to teach my people my way. You have stopped doing this. Well, guess what? I've had enough. This is getting cursed. And now you're going to learn to live without the blessing of Levi. And uh, corrupt. You can see the word there, bottom of the page. Corrupt means to go to ruin, to spoil. And the very last verse, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Again, that's, that's what God is saying. That's where I want to say, and in the year 390 B.C., the Greeks marched in and I, I, don't, know, I don't know when that took place, if it was a, a season, if it was something that took place, if it's 70 A.D., that's a long stretch, especially with such a powerful message. They got 400 years to continue this practice. Um, Jeremiah's people didn't have that much time to get, you know, to correct. So I make you despised and abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality 
in your instruction. And showing partiality is in instruction. If you are a Bible teacher and you don't want to teach things people don't agree with and you skip the verses about homosexuality or skip the verses about, you know, money or greed or whatever you think is going to offend somebody, uh, you're teaching, you're showing partiality in your instruction. Uh, again, I, I, obviously I'm not, I'm not perfect, but the safest way I think to be a Bible teacher is just teach verse by verse and just keep turning pages and just see, ver- it's like, well, you're showing partiality. I, I taught all of it. Now, and if it was good or not, I, that's another issue. But you start picking out, well, here's a verse I think that people like it. Here's a verse that they'll like. Oh, it's Easter season. It's Christmas season. It's Thanksgiving season. It's Mother's Day. It's Father's Day. It's Children's Day. It's like, when I was, I did pastor church many, several times. I pastored three or four churches. Um, but every one of them had to come to the recognition there was not going to be a Thanksgiving message. There's not going to be even a Christmas message. There's not, there, no, there's no easy. You understand, if you do a message and you follow the calendar, you're booked. It's like, well, we teach the word here, except on the 4th of July where we have a message about patriotism. Or on Thanksgiving, we have a message on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's good to have a message about Thanksgiving, but you're going to do that every 52 weeks. And it's like, there's a lot of things, and you're missing a week. And the people are there for like 12 minutes. And it's like, well, they're all scripturally ignorant. Well, yeah, because you're teaching a Mother's Day message, a Father's Day. Well, our mothers are important. Not saying mothers are important. Paul t- takes care of that in Ephesians. But it's like you're not going to stop every, every year, talk about mothers. Every year, talk about fathers. Every year, talk about Thanksgiving. Every year, Fourth of July. Every year, Christmas. Every year, Easter. Well, Easter is the biggest thing. Right. So I think I cover Easter probably about three out of every four Sundays we cover Easter at some point. But you understand, you could water down your schedule uh, where you never have to open the Bible, except for your verse, you know. If people call on my name, call by my name, cried to me for help, I'll deliver them. All right, hey, I'm done here for tonight. And so I, may, I will make you despise and abase before all the people as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your, notice this, in your instruction. It comes down to the priest. The sacrifices they're failing at, but they're supposed to be instructing step by step through that sacrifice and instructing in their Levitical cities. And the whole culture's gone astray again after coming back from captivity. And God starts right here with Malachi, the messenger, with a message that they're supposed to be the messengers. He'll move on. He's got out of six disputes, we've talked about two of them so far. There's four more topics that he's going to, uh, you know, address the people with i'll pray and we are finished father do thank you for the chance to look into your word we do ask that we would not be boastful or arrogant but we would humble ourselves before your word and allow it to transform our lives to be like christ to seek the truth to hear the truth and then to live and apply the truth to our own lives we do thank you for the holy spirit and the transforming power of your word and ask that we might shine as lights at this time in history in this generation in jesus name we pray amen thank you for being here